the idea of learning through what you can see in your own community and in the environment that surrounds uh, where your school is based. So you might learn science by looking at the ecosystem in the area where you live or learn more about civics or about social studies by looking at what's happening in your very own community. I think this is a wonderful way to bring relevance to learning. For so many kids, part of the problem with school is they're sitting there thinking, when will I ever use this in my life? Why do I need this? And I think applying learning to what you see in your own community is one way to make it feel relevant. A downside to this model might be that, you know, there's there's a lot of really interesting global issues and things happening outside of communities that kids can get really excited about. But certainly the idea of trying to make learning relevant to kids' lives, I think, is, is extremely important. Welcome to Raising Adults, the groundbreaking parenting podcast that starts with the end in mind. We're your co-hosts, Dina Thayer and Kira Dorian. We created future-focused parenting to take families from surviving to thriving. So join us as we help you stop raising kids and start raising adults. Well, hello, future-focused parents. Welcome to another episode of Raising Adults. We are glad to be back with you today, Kira and Dina. And we also have a guest today who I'm going to tell you about in just a moment. I'm still separated from my amazing comrades. So, Kira, how are you today? I'm very well. I am mom hair don't care, so I'm glad that no one can see us. Today's one of the days I'm really grateful for that. It's a it's a day to be grateful for podcasting, right? This is yeah. when you have a face for podcasting. I really do. I really fair. do have a face for podcasting. Fair for podcasting, right? <laughs> Sometimes we are thankful for audio only. I know a lot of podcasts do actually have video or they do their podcast on Zoom. And shout out to you if you're brave enough for that. But Kira and I are not always camera ready. So no, 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 not one of those people that just looks good rolling out of bed. So <laughs> That's what I did this morning. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, we are going to talk about education today. And oh, goodness. Yeah. I'm I know, excited. I know you're a little excited. So maybe you can even give us a little sense of why this interests you, even though it's only October and some people might think we're bananas for doing this so early into the school year. So first of all, as I mentioned, when we talked about like what we learned during the pandemic, I had such a major aha around education and and by the way, received no hate mail. So thank you, everyone. <laughs> I, was, I was expecting hate mail on that one, but really kind of went wow, this doesn't work. Like this system works for such a tiny percentage of our children. And it, it really, I mean, like it blew my mind, this trajectory that we put our kids on and the the steamroll of, of it. And it made me realize I really, I don't love it for my kids. Um, and so I've mentioned on the show before that, you know, one of my kids is doing great at school and likes school and it's not perfect, but, you know, really Rhea is overall very happy and she thrives there. And Reese, who's very good at school, is very unhappy, generally speaking, at school. He loves the social aspect, but academically it just it's I don't know. I wouldn't even say he's bored. It's not the right word. It's just it doesn't suit him, you know, the way he wants to learn, the way he wants to engage. And I had thought, you know, when the pandemic hit, he was so miserable doing online learning. He didn't love it. You know, he kept begging to go back to school. So I was like, great. Once this kid gets back to school, <laughs> like we're set. Fourth grade's going to be a breeze. And the first week he was really happy to be there. And then I started hearing all the same things again. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what am I going to do with this kid? So I'm really excited to talk about just alternative 
forms of education because we can't even figure out what to do with our own son over this. So anyway, I'm just excited to have this conversation. And I think a lot of families are in a similar boat, not exactly the same as mine, but that idea of, okay, we're going to send them back and see what happens. And now a lot of families are, are going, hmm, maybe this isn't working. And, you know, like there were parts of the at-home model that I think a lot of kids liked. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I think I'm excited to just look at, well, if you if you aren't going to send your kid to the local school, maybe there's actually more options out there than we even realize. Yeah. And I I would imagine you're not alone. I think that complete pulling back from the traditional model of school, while that was challenging in its own right, I do think as people re-entered school in person this fall, some for the first time in a year and a half, it really lent some perspective. And so there is a reason we're doing an education episode in the fall, FFPs, because some of you might be in this same boat where you're seeing either old issues crop back up or you're realizing in a fresh and new way some things that aren't a good fit about the traditional school model as you're entering back into it after so long. So we're really thrilled. I'm going to interrupt you too, because the other thing that I'm really realizing, and I have a feeling our guest is going to touch on this today, is that we had an opportunity as a district, as a nation, to learn something from this pandemic to really go what what was actually what was good about at home and what wasn't and what's working what's not working and i don't know about other parts of the country but i can tell you that it looks exactly the same nothing changed and i just think we missed an opportunity there mm. we could have really done some, come back with something different something better and we didn't so okay hate mail to info at focusparenting.com <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm going to i'm going to shut up now we're not going to have a coffee hour like we did last time. I mean, we are, yeah. but, but well, we yeah, are. But later, <laughs> I am not a coffee drinker. I'm just having water hour. Okay, <laughs> but but this is some of these issues that Kira just mentioned. I mean, this is why we're glad to have our guest with us today. So we have Victoria Ransom with us today, and she's going to talk to us about a new approach to education that's kind of really shifting things. But she's also going to share some some broader views with you as well and some information if maybe you're looking at this and saying, hey, is this the right fit? Or maybe it's great for one of your kids, but not another, like what Kira is describing. So I'm going to introduce her and then we're going to jump in to the interview. Victoria Ransom is with us today and she's been an entrepreneur since her early 20s. She's developed four companies, including Wildfire, which was acquired by Google in 2012 for a whopping $450 million. Her current venture, which she'll share with you about today, Prisma, is pioneering a new approach to K-12 education and turning the current rigid one-size-fits-few model of education on its head. Victoria has an MBA from Harvard Business School. She was named a young global leader by the World Economic Forum in 2015. She was also named to Fortune Magazine's 40 Under 40 list, recognized by President Obama for her contributions to entrepreneurship. I mean, she just, can you tell? A lot of accolades here. She knows her stuff. You're going to be excited to hear from her. Victoria has also been featured in scores of publications, including the New York Times, Corner Office, Bloomberg TV, Entrepreneur Magazine, and the Wall Street Journal. In her spare time, Victoria is an avid snowboarder and surfer and a passionate adventure traveler who once spent six weeks living with a remote Amazonian tribe. I mean, wow. Victoria, welcome (laughs) to Raising Adults. Hi there. Thanks for having me. 
we are glad to speak with you today. So we'll we'll kind of dive in with some of your background. Maybe you can share a little bit more about your background and how you even became interested in education in the first place. Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, I think the first thing to mention, uh, in case you're hearing a little bit of an accent, is I actually grew up in New Zealand. Uh, but I live now in the Bay Area, just south of San Francisco. I am the proud mom of three children. And, uh, you know, it's really thanks to those children that uh, we've ended up, my husband and I, looking into the education space. When we sold our previous company to Google, as you just mentioned, we told ourselves that whatever we do next, we want it to be something that could have a large positive impact on the world. And then, frankly, found that we were a little lost because there's so many things to solve in the world and what on earth could we focus on? Uh, We got a little sort of um, stymied. But uh, along the way, our three children started to grow up and and the oldest one approached um, kindergarten age. And that led us to start to question pretty deeply how we wanted to educate her and our other children. We live in an area where there's really great schools, but there's a lot of pressure put on kids. And that starts to manifest in anxiety and depression, and particularly in teenage years. So we were rather weary of the options available in our area. We also, frankly, had arranged our work lives in a way to be flexible and wondered if there were schooling options that could be more flexible. And all of those things I just mentioned sort of led us down the rabbit hole of exploring different models of education. And we started to really crystallize a view of the kind of education that we thought, you know, that resonated most with us for our own children, Um, you know, allowing kids to move at their own pace, allowing kids to learn based on their interests, allowing kids to learn in a very hands-on tangible real world way developing skills holistic skills in kids so not just academics but also communication and critical thinking and collaboration and perseverance and things like this so we developed a vision for how we wanted to educate our own kids but in the course of doing that we got really motivated by the idea of how could we bring a more sort of um, student-led alternative progressive model of education to a wider number of kids because what we noticed in our investigation is there are a number of amazing amazing schools around the world but they tend to be sort of tucked away in a neighborhood here you know sort of an amazing private school here or uh, a small network of micro schools there that are really you know bringing the joy back to learning but a model that could reach large numbers of kids if it really works and that could also honor sort of bringing flexibility back into kids and parents lives didn't exist from our investigations and that was the beginning of of Prisma which I'm sure we'll talk more about but you know as with many um, entrepreneurs it really came from our own personal need and that was our children. I love that. I really love that. I, I I have mentioned on the show before, I went to an alternative student-led middle school and it changed my life. I mean, literally, I'm the person I am today because of that different type of educational environment. So I love that you're bringing that beyond just the classroom, but to this broader scale. That is so cool. Can we talk for a second about traditional education? So what are some of the primary features of that 
And how are they or can they be problematic? Because you you touched on something that I think is really true is we're seeing that this is contributing to anxiety, depression, all these things. And we're like, where is this coming from? Why are all of our kids struggling with this? And it sounds like some of that you're linking back to traditional education. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot to say here, but I think I'd start by saying that I think somewhere along the way in the traditional model of education, and and there are some really innovative uh, public schools out there, so I'm not generalizing to public school, but traditional education, we forgot how joyful learning is and how much kids love learning. When you look at any little kid, they spend their whole day learning through play, but they're learning And I think, you know, so the number one thing I'd say is let's get back to a model of education where we really make learning exciting and fun and enjoyable. And there's ways to do this uh, because if kids are enjoying what they're doing, then we can get the best out of kids. So that's one thing I'd say. And I think, you know, part of the culprit here is testing, where there's become so much focus on testing that teachers are really required to sort of plow through all this content in order to make sure kids know what they need to know for the test and kids have to sort of focus on all of these extrinsic motivators like test scores and grades rather than being intrinsically motivated to learn such that there's no time for sort of deep explorations when kids find something they're really excited about and limited time for teachers to be really creative in how they approach curriculum. So I think, you know, in terms of taking away the joy of learning, testing is one of the big culprits there. Another thing I would say is just this sort of conveyor belt nature of traditional education really does a disservice to so many kids. And what I mean by that is that we group kids by age and you get put in first grade based on your age or second grade based on your age and you're expected to learn a certain amount of content during that grade and then you move on to third grade. Whether you could have gone faster, unfortunately, you just have to wait and go at the same pace as everybody else, which leads to kids, I think, being getting bored and not reaching their potential, or perhaps even worse for kids that didn't fully fully grasp the material in second grade. I'm just using second grade as an example, obviously, but you know, then they get pushed up to third grade, and they're even more lost and left behind, and then they start to feel like they're not good at school, and so you know, I, we like to refer to that as sort of one size fits few, and so the ability to let kids move at their own pace is something that's really lost in traditional education and is so, so critical um, to kids enjoying school and being successful in school. And then uh, another thing I'd add, and I could go on and on, but I'll just add one more thing, is that school, and I think again, testing is quite a culprit here, has been really reduced to academic disciplines and kids' ability to, in many cases, just recall information or knowledge related to academic disciplines. And yet, what is school for? It is to prepare kids to thrive in their adult lives and hopefully to contribute meaningfully to society. And so we need them to know much more than just math and science and social studies, although those are really important. We need them to be are really creative thinkers, to be great at working with others, to be critical thinkers, to be able to persevere in the face of challenge. And particularly when you look at the world that today's elementary school kids are going to be adults in, where, you know, we don't even know 
most of the jobs that they're going to be doing. Um, one study that I've seen says that 65% of today's elementary school kids will work in careers that have yet to even be invented. So our ability to give kids sort of a holistic set of skills that they could apply to any kind of career that ends up being available to them by the time they're adults, I think is is absolutely critical. And we do a real disservice to kids and to society by focusing so sort of narrowly on siloed academic subjects and sort of stuffing kids' heads full of information. It's like future-focused education is what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. it is. It is. It's about who they're going to become as people, not just as knowers of facts. And I had never heard this shuffling through the grades, which we've experienced in our family in a highly frustrating way with one of our children in particular, but I've never heard that conveyor belt analogy. That is excellent because that really is so what it is. You just move to the next, move to the next, move to the next. And we've even really moved away from honoring kids that need more time. Mm -hmm. The idea of holding a child back, it's unheard of now. I mean, it's, it's just we're, we're, we're so worried about all these extraneous things and, and not giving, giving the time or allowing someone who's ready to go faster to go faster. And that's, that is, I just love the conveyor belt analogy. I think I've never heard it mm-hmm. described that way, but it's really accurate when you think about it. Mm-hmm. And I know there are some, some places trying to offer something different. Maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the different educational models that are out there and what problems they're trying to solve, because I know there are some some places trying trying to get a handle on this. What, what kind of things exist outside of that traditional model you were just describing? I mean, fortunately, like I said, there's a number of really amazing schools that are, you know, providing a very innovative approach to education. And then I think there's a number of public schools that are taking aspects of more innovative progressive education and and putting it into their model. Um, You know, one really popular approach to innovative or progressive education is project-based learning, where kids uh, learn through um, solving problems, solving real problems in a very hands-on interdisciplinary way that, that better mimics the kind of work and learning that you do in your adult lives. And I've, in my experience, project-based learning can also really help to bring learning come alive and, and get kids to enjoy learning. So I think that is, is a popular approach that's gaining steam nowadays. There's inquiry-based learning, which is the idea of being inspired by sort of the interests of kids and what they seem to be interested in uh, at a given time, and then really digging deep into that interest and asking sort of deeper and deeper questions. Probably the best example there is my own daughter was um, a part of an inquiry-led uh, um, school a while ago, and the school was lucky enough to get access to some uh, chicken eggs and some incubators, which meant the kids were really fascinated about chickens for a while. And though, so they spent a good six weeks really digging super deep. In, like They learned things about chickens that i definitely didn't know about chickens, like the digestive system of a chicken. So I think, you know, that's a wonderful approach for um, spiking kids' curiosity, for, for sort of persevering with a subject and going really deep. One of the downsides, and I saw it with my own daughter, is 
uh, a bunch of kids might be really interested in that topic, but what if some kids aren't and you're spending many, many, many weeks digging into sort of one particular area? And I, I must say by the end, my daughter was saying, I'm, I'm a little tired of chickens. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's you know, great, great aspects of that. Uh, another approach, um, maybe I'll make this the last one, but happy to dig deeper, uh, is place-based learning. The idea of learning through what you can see in your own community and in the environment that surrounds uh, where your school is, is based. So you might learn science by looking at the ecosystem in, in the area where you live or learn more about civics or about social studies by looking at what's happening in your very own community. I think this is a wonderful way to bring relevance to learning. We haven't talked much about that, but I think for so many kids, part of the problem with school is they're sitting there thinking, when will I ever use this in my life? Why do I need this? And I think applying learning to what you see in your own community is one way to make it feel relevant. A downside to this model might be that, you know, there's there's a lot of really interesting global issues and things happening outside of communities that kids can get really excited about. But certainly the idea of trying to make learning relevant to kids' lives, I think, is, is extremely important. Oh my goodness, FFPs, I'm so excited that we get to talk to you about the Cozy app today because when Cozy approached us, I told Dina, I can't believe this, I already use the Cozy app and I love it. So the fact that we are getting an opportunity to tell you guys about it is so cool. Yeah, pretty serendipitous. So you FFPs, if you're starting to finally feel busy again, your calendar's filling up, you've got more events and kids activities than all of the entire last year combined, why not do your future self a favor and get Cozy? Yeah, Cozy is the number one organizing app that families use to juggle all the things, the schedules, the practices, the doctor's appointments, all the things. And it was named a must-have app for a better life by the Today Show, which does not surprise me because we use it all the time. And you can set it up so everyone knows who is doing what, when, and where. Cozy will even send you emails every morning with the day's agenda, so there'll be no more missed pickups or double bookings. Yeah, so here's how it works. Cozy actually tracks everyone's schedules and events in one place with a shared color-coded calendar, which is really cool. And then it reminds everybody about those events so that you don't have to. And it's super easy to get started. You can even pull in events from your family's personal work and school calendars. And the best part? It's my favorite price. Free. <laughs> All you have to do is download Cozy Family Organizer from the App Store. That's C-O-Z-I to get the free app today. Yeah, it's awesome. It helps with all these other things too. Like Dave and I, you can share lists. So he has like a honeydew list and I can put things on the list. We have a shared shopping list. So when we run out of things, he can put it on the shopping list. If I find a recipe online that I love, I can just hit like the button that allows all the ingredients to go into my shopping list on Cozy. It is so convenient. It helps with organizing your whole life. And remember, it's all free. Just download Cozy from your app store. That's C-O-Z-I and you can get started today. Oh my gosh, you're speaking my language. I think this is partly what I'm I'm seeing is this frustration of like, I, what's the point? They they're not linking the real world to it, right? right? And I remember even feeling this at a certain point. It became very clear for me that I was not going to be a scientist, <laughs> like really, really clear. And I was like, why am I sitting here learning physics? I am literally never going to use this in my entire life. And so I love that you brought that up. So okay. So let's talk about parents who maybe are in this position that I'm in. They're like, this traditional fit doesn't work. There's all these different models out there. 
how do I go about finding the right model to fit my kids' learning style to be able to advocate for them? I mean, let's take my son as an example, right? So he's he's really bright. He wants to kind of dig deep like you're talking about. He wants to he doesn't want to just have more work. He doesn't want to go faster. He wants to go deeper. But he loves the social element of school. So like what do I do? What 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 that because clearly I'm not it's not working whatever it is I'm doing because I haven't found an answer yet. So what would you advise a parent in my position or a parent in a position who maybe kids uh, the kid is struggling at school or you know is really bright but the way it's being presented isn't reaching them and they need a different style to be able to engage with the learning. Yeah, and, and I mean unfortunately I think it depends a lot on what's available in your community, particularly if a family. Um, want to continue to send their kids to school in a physical building. I think if you're open to home-based or online learning, there are more options, although even there I think there's a dearth of alternative approaches to online education. But, you know, I, I want to caveat that for fam- some families live in areas where there's a wealth of alternative schooling options. I happen to live in an area like that, and some families have very limited options. I would say, f- first of all, uh, I think... Parent groups and uh, online groups that uh, for parents with kids with particular needs, whether it's gifted kids or kids with dyslexia, I think can be a wealth of information. Learning from other parents, I think, is is a fantastic way to really figure out if a school is is a good option and to learn about other options of schooling. You know, I think there's some great websites. Depending on if if you know of a particular need that your kid has like they're twice exceptional or they're on the autism spectrum and there's fantastic websites that that families can use as resources I guess the the other thing I'd say is frankly from my experience I would be less focused as a parent on is is project-based learning better or is inquiry-based learning better or is place-based learning better to me I would look at First and foremost, does this school do a good job of, of making learning come alive and be exciting and feel relevant? Because, again, I think it all begins with sparking kids' interests. And if you can do that, then whether they're gifted and they need to be pushed faster or whether they have special learning needs and they need um, a little more time, if they're excited about what they're doing, you will get better results. So I would be looking for that. Uh, and then the other thing... I think that can can work to help kids across a broad range of needs is this ability to let kids move at their own pace. And sometimes you have kids that are really spiky. So you have a kid that's actually three grade levels ahead in math, but actually a little behind in, in writing. So the more a model allows kids to just slot in at the level that they're at and move at the pace that works best for them and that gives them choice around their learning. So ideally, they're always learning within a framework of something that interests them. That's what I would be looking for if I was seeking out an alternative schooling option because I think that can help kids who are bored with school. That can help kids who are feeling like they're not good at school. That can help kids that are really spiky. So I think those are things I'd look for more than specifically, oh, I would definitely go for a place-based or I'd definitely go for a project-based. Frankly, most alternative schools kind of have a mix of different sort of models that they're combining anyway. That makes a lot of sense to look more for the 
the pacing piece? Is it coming alive? Those different elements that you might find across several different models. And then you might find that even among those models, some of those things, some of those elements are missing. And it's interesting. I I appreciated that you said earlier near the top of the episode that even some traditional schools do this well, and there's some alternative schools that don't do this well. So it's, it's really not about the educational model. It's looking for these elements that are going to be most helpful. So thank you for kind of parsing that out. I think that that would be tricky. There's some complexity there where it would be easier to just kind of silo the models in and say, this one's good, that one's bad. And that's really not the case. It's it's a little bit more nuanced than that. That's really important. And we know you're you're part of an innovative educational model with with Prisma. And we'd love to hear about that for families who are A, either in a situation like Kira is where they're really evaluating this, or B, maybe they have children who aren't yet school age and they're researching the different options available or even see maybe their their kids are okay but they want to learn more and, and because that can shift at any time sometimes families hit that fork in the road educationally later on and they aren't there yet but it will it will end up being that thing in their back pocket that's really helpful later so before we wrap up we definitely want to hear about prisma so can you tell us a little bit about it and maybe at the end as well let our listeners know kind of how they can learn more if they're interested sure absolutely yeah prisma is currently an educational model focused on fourth through eighth graders although our plan is to expand that that range and it is for kids who are learning from home but it is very different from traditional homeschooling because we provide a cohort of kids that meet together every day that learn together that collaborate together that form really strong friendships and so it's a very uh, collaborative social learning experience we provide coaches we don't call them teachers they are experienced teachers but they are playing a very different role from a teacher they are there to get to know each kid really well to understand what their strengths are and what they're capable of to understand what their interests are and what gets them really excited about learning and to really guide them through their learning journey to to achieve their best our coaches are also just really talented at providing in-depth written feedback because we, we don't do grades. We believe in the power of iterative feedback to get kids to achieve their best. And they're wonderful at providing really engaging online workshops where it's not kids listening to the teacher, but it's kids engaging and collaborating and discussing and learning from one another. So, you know, we're, we're not traditional homeschooling, although we have a lot of the flexibility and sort of honoring of kids' individual interests and the, their own pace of learning that homeschooling can provide. We're not typical online schooling because I think as a lot of people discovered during COVID, most, the majority of online schooling models have sort of taken traditional education and just bought it online, which in our humble opinion is kind of the worst of both worlds. Um, you know, they, they still have lectures and they still have grades and they have textbooks. They may be delivered electronically, but they still look like, feel like textbooks. So we're really a, a model of online or home-based learning that incorporates a lot of these more alternative or progressive elements of education that we've been talking about, honoring kids' pace of learning, giving them lots of choice so they're learning about things that they're interested about, um, really holistically developing kids' skills. We focus, we care just as much about kids' ability to be creative and 
excellent communicators and great critical thinkers than we do about math and reading progress, although we've been able to measure our kids' math and reading progress, and it's well above uh, the national average, more than 150% above on, on both counts. And so, you know, we're, we're just a very unique, flexible, uh, we think of ourselves as um, flex schooling, where we're very flexible to meet the needs of every given kid, but we're also very flexible in how families can lead their lives. They can live anywhere they want. They can, you know, you can live in a rural area that doesn't have access to alternative schools, and you can access that through Prisma. And also just we, we've created a model that in and of itself, it's flexible so that we can adapt to um, new trends in the world or things that kids might be interested in or the latest adaptive learning technologies can be built into our model. So that that's Prisma and um, we're still early in our life cycle, but we've seen just really fantastic growth with our kids and perhaps most importantly of all, great happiness. 100% of Prisma learners at our year-end survey last year said they're happier at Prisma than in their previous mm. learning environment, which to us oh, is sort of the, the highest praise we can get, I guess. Sure. That would be the best thing you could hear of all. And our listeners, I'm sure you remember, we've actually advertised Prisma. We felt enough of an alignment there. And we know some of our families are looking for those, those different models, or they maybe have one child that really needs something different. And so you've heard us talk about it even before today. So it's a treat to get to hear directly from you, Victoria, about what that's all about and just what the scope and outlook of education is like in general right now, because I think we're really at kind of a tipping point. There's a lot of a lot of change that we've been through, and it's bringing a lot of things more to the forefront, I think, for families than maybe they were when they were just going along that that conveyor belt until until life went upside down. Yep. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Victoria, how can listeners find out more about Prisma and maybe get in touch or schedule an interview, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah. So we have a very detailed website at joinprisma.com. And you can actually schedule to join a small group info session there, which is another great way to get uh, more insight into what we're doing. So yeah, I definitely start with our website, joinprisma.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Victoria, for chatting with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for the opportunity. And FFPs, we really hope that was helpful for you too. I mean, even if you aren't specifically in this scenario, perhaps you know someone who is, and you might want to share this episode with them. So we just hope you'll take advantage of of the information provided, whether it's for you or for someone you care about. And as always, we invite you to become an actual follower of the show. There are so many places you can find us. We're on virtually every podcast platform, podcast app. You can also even listen right on our website, which is futurefocusedparenting.com. And we invite you to do that. We appreciate those of you who already do that. It means you never miss an episode and every time one pops out, you get it. So thanks to those of you who are faithfully following and downloading. We love and appreciate you so much. And we look forward to being back with you with more Raising Adults next week. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded partially in Kira's laundry room and partially in my coat closet. Editing by Allison Preisinger. Music by the Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening.